1: Today on this episode of First Lady and Friends, we have a dear friend of mine, uh, Miss Tammy Pearson, who is a farmer, rancher, and a Beaver County Commissioner, and most of all, just a genuinely, incredibly wonderful and kind person. Let's get proximate. Welcome to the show, Tammy. Thanks, Abby. I appreciate it. We um you know, we talk a lot about growing up in, in rural Utah. I do personally. And um so I just am so thrilled to have you here. We can talk <laughs> rural Utah, we can talk ranching and farming, but but you're the real deal. Uh you you have been ranching and farming for for many years, but let's get into that. Where where did you grow up? Um and, you know, what's a little, what's your background? So I grew up in
2: Hinkley in Millard County. So it's just west of Delta. You know, most people just say Delta, but I, <laughs> I'm proud of Hinkley. Um, and I've been there because we've been to all 248. That's right. That's right. <laughs> that's right. And uh, so I grew up on a farm and, you know, my dad had a few acres and, and we irrigated we raised cows i've milked i've milked cows by hand i've milked goats by hand um both sets of grandparents had cattle so we we were part of a ranching family we did that on the weekends and the summers and go all, all in delta no um my my mother's uh parents were actually in Twilla county out on the sheep rocks okay she was um she was born to uh well, her her dad, when he came out of World War I, uh, married and had a, his first wife, and she died in childbirth, mm-hmm. and so that daughter was raised in Springville, and then he waited a few years, eight, ten years before he married again and married my grandmother, and they had four daughters out on the ranch, so there was a whole flock of girls that helped do the
1: ranch out on the sheep rocks see i know that's why we connected i knew we were (laughs) we we were kindred spirits because you know i grew up on a ranch with and there are 10 kids in my family two boys and eight girls so we so So we did all the ranching Yeah. yeah
2: so my dad kind of followed suit so when he uh met my mother he was quite a bit old he was eight years older than my mom and uh drug her in from the ranch to town, which, you know, she was fine with that, but it was a, it was a new, you know, new experience for her. But they also had four girls. So I'm the oldest. I say I'm my dad's only son. Um, (laughs) I feel like, I feel like that too. Right. Because I was all about milking cows or goats or pitching hay or changing canvas dams out in the dirt ditch with a headlight, you know, flashlight. Cleaning the house and washing dishes and that kind of stuff was not my cup of tea. (laughs) I would much prefer to be out pitching
1: or cleaning manure or riding horses all day. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So, so you're, so then you moved to, so your parents moved to Hinkley. Well, I, when they were married, they, they
2: settled in Hinkley. That's where my dad was from, was, was Hinkley. And he, he bought his, his parents' farm. And a couple other ones and so we did you know we did all the farming and stuff um, when I was little he was actually working for the other people that I called grandparents which weren't blood relatives but uh, funny story there well not necessarily funny but uh, Ray and Daisy Skinner had uh, a big ranch out on the Nevada line out to Deep Creek or Ibapa mm-hmm. and uh, that's where their their place was And their only child would have been exactly the same age as my dad, Mm -hmm. but he passed away when he was five. And so dad started working for him two or three years before mom, they got married. But when they got married, they were instantly like adopted, they were family. And then when they had me then it was that sealed the deal because they had their first and only grandchild. And so we spent a lot of time that way. My, um, Dad's parents had both passed when he was younger. Um well his his dad died when I was eight months old, so I never I never knew him. And so Grandma and Grandpa Skinner were my grandparents and so was Grandma and Grandpa Ecker. So we we were in Hinckley and we you know, everything farming grew up in the stock shows, horse shows, mom worked at the auction, dad worked for some of the local ranchers. So okay always yeah. in that world.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's a it's a world. It's a it's a different world I think than a lot of people have experienced. So that's I actually one of the reasons I wanted to have you on here because I think it's important um to to understand that. So tell me about so then you you grew up there and then um where did you meet your husband Sean?
2: There's a lot of life in between there. Um, <laughs> okay, let's hear it. <laughs> so uh, high school and that kind of stuff, I I was just totally in over my head in 4-H. Mm-hmm. Same thing in FFA. Um, had decided that I was going to be a 4-H agent. Okay. Come hell or high water, that's what was going to happen. And so I did like 4-H interns, ran all the stock shows, you know, the... County Fair, different things like that, and did the summer internship all through high school. Went to college at Utah State, came back every summer as a paid 4-H intern, and and that was super fun and uh, just loved life at Utah State. You know, animal science well, club. of course, of course we did. <laughs> yeah. Go Aggies! What, what's not to love, uh, Utah State? Right. Exactly. Uh, but anyway, so I I came back from Utah State. And and IPP, the Intermountain Power Plant, had come in. And so in lieu of taxes, they actually funded the four H program that four H internship. Oh, interesting. So I came back and was working there and I'd only worked there for a year and a half or, or two years, something like well not yeah, not quite two years. And uh, I had a, a a member of my bishopric kept pestering to me about you know, needed to line me up with this guy from Minersville, and I'm like, nah. I got two or three other guys on the side, and I don't need another <laughs> one. and And I was just not really that interested in in going that way. And so, anyway, uh, to carry on with our past conversation about concerts and dances and all that stuff, <laughs> um, there was a band that came to town for for New Year's, and I was all excited because I had taught a swing country swing class in college at at Logan and so here was a country band coming to town for New Year's and I didn't think nothing of it took a couple of my friends went Sunday morning my mom mom says well how was the steak dance and I says I didn't go to the steak dance and she goes well what dance did you go to I said I went to the bar so and so you know I mean here was I can't remember now what the name of the band was but they were pretty you know pretty popular around and Oh, she was so mad at me, and <laughs> and uh, and she says, "I am calling Clough Talbot," and I says, "Oh, really? What are you going to tell him?" She goes, "I'm telling him, line line you up with that kid." <laughs> so so uh, I met my husband- you know, my future husband. Probably took us a month or two to get things coordinated, and and I always said um, he fell in love at first sight, and. And a few months later, I got stuck in minersville, so <laughs> <laughs> but,
1: anyway that's, yeah that's a fantastic oh, and then you guys have three kids we have three, yep yeah. we have three we uh his family uh
2: was really established in minersville, have a big cattle ranch north of milford and and a bunch of b l m allotments and big farms and we had a they had a dairy at the time um and we, we you know we got married lived in a little one room house for a year and a half or whatever and um we were married just about two years when we had our first boy taylor and so we moved right up into a mobile home you know <laughs> right, moving on, yeah, up. Moving on <laughs> up uh through a mobile home in behind these parents house which all the rest of the kids had done that at some point or another, yeah. too. And uh, we had uh, Taylor and Chandra three years later, had my daughter. And, and then we finally built a house up, you know, just across the street. Didn't yeah. be very far, built right in the middle of the feed yard. And uh, so we were close. His parents were, you know, were in their 40s when they had Sean. So he was the baby. Mm. And, uh, you know, we were there to take care of him and, you know. Do the yards and you know do everything yeah. they needed to do and I wouldn't have had that any other way. They were wonderful people and full of piss and vinegar and there was <laughs> plenty of there was plenty of fireworks. You know, <laughs> at some point in time, you know, because who doesn't work with cows that can't cuss and swear? It's and... <laughs> the only
1: words they understand. Right, right. <laughs> yep. Now I think your your story is. Not completely unique because I think anybody from r- rural Utah sort of gets that. I mean, we still live right next to Spencer's parents. Um, my parents live not too far away. Um, it's it's, it's just, a wonderful world. It really is. I mean, it's it gives you a real sense of community. It gives you a real sense of belonging. I I it's it's funny because people when we moved back to Fairview after going being away to school and stuff, uh, I remember people. Asking, you know, what's what's the best thing about going back home? And I said, family for sure. He said, what's what's the worst? Family for sure. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's always a little tricky. There's there's lots of fun things like that, but it is, um, it's it's something I think that the rest of the world can can look at and try to be more like. Just because of that sense of community that I think is being lost all over. the all over you know more urban areas
2: i i totally agree i i've never i mean i don't i like to travel i like to see things i'm very shoot from the hip and adventurous that kind of stuff but i don't wander far from home yeah i have planted roots literally i mean (laughs) yes uh we were laughing the other day planted trees when we first built our house and I mean, they're 60, 80 feet tall pine trees and pine trees don't, you know, Uh, but that's home. I mean, and, and like you said, I, I've invested in that in the community. I was raised to be neighborly and kind and worry about your neighbors. Like if there's ever a tragedy or a death or, you know, you see, you see someone struggling, you're the first one at the door with a, casserole dish or or a hundred dollar bill or a five dollar
1: bill or whatever you know well and you know there you know what's happening because we're all up in each other's business
2: (laughs) (laughs) this is true (laughs) but in a good way mostly But, but in a good way yes and 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 people um i think i think from a rural community and i know me growing up you tough it out i mean you figure out how to fix things and how to you know how to, um, make things work whether it's baling wire, or duct tape, or, or just call the neighbors and you know do a barn raising or whatever. I, you, you're strong, you're resilient, and I mm-hmm. think that is probably some of the most important qualities that we
1: need to do, especially this day and age. Absolutely, and you know going back to that, you know you're the first one on the doorstep. You, you took us over to. This and you'll have to remind me her name. This Margie Thompson, Margie's house, and she in her nineties. How old was she? She just barely passed away this last oh, week. Oh no! Just barely.
2: Oh, I know. I, I broke my heart, oh, my and I and I didn't <laughs> like want to really even said. say anything to you because I was like, I'm not telling anybody. Yeah. <laughs> but she, um, we went and visited her. What the a sweet, sweetest woman sweet lady. on earth, and yeah. and I've I've always. You know, because the last few years, she's not been able to raise her garden, but she was one of those people that raised this little garden. Her husband's been gone for 30 years, and she was always delivering cookies and cooking and, and you know, even at that age. Mm-hmm. And so, um, just bless her heart, I, you know, I'd stop, I, you know, it got less and less the last couple of years, especially with COVID, um, because she couldn't, you know, you couldn't have people in her house all the yeah. time, but um, just... Sweet, you know, kind people, yeah. and and I think you know there's communities, whether it's urban or rural, that have those same quality of people I that agree. sincerely care and and are worried about their neighbors in the community.
1: Yeah, I agree. Well, um, I want to continue talking about uh, this ranching and what maybe what it's done. You know, you talked about COVID. Um, I, I want to. I want you to talk about what that has done and this drought has done to to our farmers and ranchers right now. So um, we'll be right back.
0: I'm Dave Colley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office to meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.
1: We're back here with Tammy Pearson, who is a farmer, a rancher, a county commissioner in, in Beaver County, um, Let's talk about the drought and COVID. I mean, we've had basically a, a double whammy for for our farmers and ranchers. I mean, for everyone, but particularly um, our farmers and ranchers in rural Utah and throughout the state. Um, what's it been like? What's What did COVID do? And now talk to us about the drought. So it's kind of funny...
2: You know, COVID personally doesn't touch you as a farmer and rancher, right? Right. I mean, um, unless you're the one that got sick and ends up in bed with it, but you you get up, you do chores, life goes on. (laughs) I mean, there's just no, there's no hiding, hiding in the house from it. Um, Obviously, you know, I was still out cutting ice and hauling salt and cutting hay and putting hay up and... And dealing with cattle and that kind of stuff. The things that really bothered us, probably more so than anything, is, um, you know, the prices of hay, the prices of beef, um, trying to get equipment and parts mm-hmm. in. I'd be down, like even even today, I've got a well down that I've been waiting on parts for six weeks. Wow. So the drought on top of not having a well running wow. is just kicking my butt. <laughs> Like literally, <laughs> yeah. so I've got right now I've got 80 acres that I can't do anything with. It's just sitting there waiting to get water back on it. I've got another 90 acre pivot that that we have no water at all because it's part of that high water. So um, the drought has probably been way more damaging to us as, you know, as a farmer and rancher. The BLM, which is Bureau of Land Management, where we run, we have uh, public lands and we run cattle on the allotments, are talking about winter range unless something really changes. So I'm really thankful that the monsoon season's been here. And and I'm hoping it's not too late in the game that it will help the ranges because it's it's not just cattle. That's being affected. It's the wildlife. It's the wild horses. It's it's every little critter that exists on you know on the yeah. public land, and so I'm hoping that some of these monsoons is going to make a little bit of a difference. But um, BLM's talking that in southern Utah there will be no winter range for for livestock. Wow! Like everybody's wow. going to keep their cows and their sheep home and feed them, or
1: they're going to the auction. Which as you say, so you, you say that, and it sounds you know maybe not too terrible to people unless you understand that because of the drought again there's not a lot of hay no and the hay that is available is going to be really pricey in extremely expensive right now so so to to feed to to try to make a living or try to you know eke out an existence right. here is is right. really tough and and we say okay you know I, we hear a lot of, from our friends um around the Wasatch Front that maybe don't understand how it all works, but you know, these farmers and ranchers are using this water and, and we look around and say, um, your grass and your lawn is not feeding anyone. (laughs) Right. right. (laughs) But the farmers and ranchers are feeding us. (laughs) Right. And I, and I think that it's a, it's an
2: easy concept for you and I to understand. Right. Right. But I think that the, the, concept that that amount of water is just being dumped on the ground it's a green field they don't understand that yeah the process that, the process and the chain of events of how that full full life circle comes around yeah and feeds the world yeah. right so like with the alpha alpha and that you're you're not only feeding cattle sheep dairy cattle horses whatever else those in turn are producing whether it's protein, milk products, um, a, a, jobs. <laughs> a jobs, a lifestyle. Um, you know, there's a lot of people that have hobby animals, right? Mm-hmm. There might be a lot of those people that give up those hobby animals. Now, because of the price of hay. Yeah, I mean, it. I know that's one of the reasons that there's so many wild horses right now on the range because 10 years ago when prices of hay went up so hard, so high, people just went out in the West Desert and dumped horses.
1: Yeah, I want to talk about that. We can get <laughs> into that because um, I wanted to talk a little bit more about that. But before we do, let's, let's talk about this. Um, you know, What do you see as the future of, of farming and ranching here? Um, look, the, the average age for farmers in Utah, you probably know it, 56.3 years of age. So that's the average age of of a farmer and rancher right now. So there there aren't going to be a lot of farmers and ranchers left in a few right. years. Right. Um and so what do you see as as the future?
2: Well, I it, I kind of have to liken it to, you know, even law enforcement. It mm. it's a similar concept. It, it's it's almost like a calling. You know, and, and yeah. like kids, you know, they all think it's all cool and whatever for a little while till they get to the age of where they understand the 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 work that's needed or required. It's a 24-7, 365-day job. Yeah, There's no time off. I had what? a really good friend that told me there's no such things as Sundays and vacations and time off West of the Mississippi. (laughs) (laughs) That's
1: true. I mean, it is a concept that I don't know that people fully grasp. No. um, When you haven't lived it, I mean, my I tell people when I was a kid, I remember taking two vacations my whole childhood, and one was for a funeral down in Arizona for my dad's grandmother. And the other one was right before my oldest brother went on his mission we went to Jackson Hole the family went and took a trailer up and camped in Jackson Hole and that's it. Yep. I mean other than that it was you know maybe up on our on the mountain right behind our house and then we we'd try to exchange with um other neighbors and other farmers that would come and take care of our our animals while we were gone. But when you're when you're farming and ranching especially ranching because you know if you're if you have animals they still have to eat. Right. You can't (laughs) put them on autopilot. It's
2: not a nine to five, you know, and, and you shut the lights off and lock the office door. It's not the same, you know, it's just not the same thing. Um, And I, and, and kids like that. And and they love it. Like my grandkids would just move in with grandma. They want to stay there and, and whatever. Um, But when you get to the business end of it, that's why I said it has to be a calling. I mean, because there's there's not very many farmers and ranchers that that it's a lucrative, you know, big money business. I mean, there there is big business in agriculture, and there have been some people that have been able to do that, um, but they've bought up all the little guys, and and then they've moved on. and And there's it's a different, it's just a different world. But um, you know, trying to find Workers that want to dig post holes and get a shovel and, you know, and start mucking crills and stuff by hand. Nobody wants to do that. Yeah, Nobody wants to do it's that. It's
1: hard. It's it, hard work.
2: Yeah. Even, yeah. even, even um on the, you know, when we're driving cows, mm-hmm. everybody says, Oh, give me, call me and we'll come help you drive cows. We'll, we'll help you, you know, mark and brand and castrate and, and all of that kind of stuff. And, uh, I'm like I'm not, I'm not sure that I can manage somebody that you have to tell them every breath to breathe and every step to take. I don't think I have the patience for that. I mean, <laughs> so yeah, you can come true. sit on the fence watch. We used, to, we used to have
1: we used to have cousins come uh, to the ranch and you want to get in on all that stuff. And I I know that's how my dad felt. It's like um, love you, and I know you truly do want to help. It's just more work for us. <laughs> it, it, it really is. And it's it's hilarious that, you know, people,
2: they want to do it. And 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 the way we run cattle, I mean, we run them through a squeeze chute and down an alley, and, and and those they have to trade somebody off in the back that's running those calves through. The cows, you wouldn't dare put somebody in there that doesn't yeah. know what they're doing. And we don't have wild cows. I mean, we've got yeah. – our cows are pretty mellow. I mean, we work them all the time, and – and they're they're pretty calm and quiet. Once in a while, you know, you get a wild one, and I'm like, "Cut her out! She's hamburger! She's going to the auction next <laughs> next week." Because I ain't dealing with it. I mean, I'm too old to deal with a mean cow. She's gone. And uh, but but to put somebody in the back of a chute to run these calves up, they come out, and I mean, you can't even tell what color their eyes are, much less what color clothes <laughs> they're wearing. You know, they're been rolled in the Dirt and spit out and crapped out and hit you know a few times <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. I do exactly.
1: That's why I'm over here laughing. Like this is, it's it's not for the faint of heart. No, it's this really is true. not. <laughs> this is true. Um, also, so your your husband Sean, um, he passed away eleven years ago. Yeah. yeah, and uh, after a, a battle with with cancer. Right. So not only are you doing this, you know, you, you were doing this as a family and as a team, you and your husband and your kids, but now you're doing it. You, I I know your kids are still involved. Yeah. Um, but, but of our 33,000 plus farmers in this state, about a third of them are women. So tell me, I think it's very unique that you're that you're running this operation basically Well I have help. I'm not yeah. doing it by myself, obviously.
2: Um but I it was a family operation when I came into it. Um we before my husband passed, uh we bought both of his brothers out. Okay. And so he still has a sister and uh her her son uh come out of college and, you know, wanted to wanted to stay. And so um Obviously, right now, he's basically the manager, you know, because he's there. He's there all the time. Um, He's since married the last eight, nine years. And uh, so his wife helps here and there. And then his mom is still there. And she does the bookkeeping and that. And then we've got hired help to boot. All of my kids have like paying jobs
1: <laughs> that's and that's i think a, something that people don't understand either i mean my whole time growing up my right. dad had another job oh yeah Guaranteed. so it wasn't yeah. yeah again like you say it's a calling
2: well there's kind of a there's kind of a joke that says any successful farmer has a wife that has a job in town <laughs> right because that's where you get that's where you get your insurance hopefully that's where you get your you know your regular t- weekly pay or monthly pay or, or whatever. And that's just not a joke. I mean, that's really the, you know, if, if you're, if you're lucky enough to have a job in town that, and that's basically what I'm doing as a County commissioner. I mean, there was, there was a lot of different reasons why I made the decision to, to be a County commissioner. I still can't believe I'm sitting in that position, but, um, I didn't know where we were going to go. I mean honestly my uh, we'd lost my father-in-law, my mother-in-law and both both of my brother-in-laws to cancer and wow. then my husband. So Minersville's definitely a downwinders pocket. Wow. So the only one left standing is, is his sister. Okay. And and so anyway, I, I I mean I was really nervous about, you know, how are we going to do that? And uh and then you know, there was a lot of other issues that drug me into being, you know, in in the commission. But um, that was part of it, probably something to focus on something bigger than myself, bigger than my own problems. Um, it it, it kind of kicked me into self-preservation mode, I think, because you may have to make that choice daily mm-hmm. to put one foot in front of the other and be happy and and I think you had to focus on, I had to, I should just say me, I had to focus on something other than my own problems.
1: Wow. Um. So you've talked a little bit about, and I've I've mentioned that you are a county commissioner. I want to get into that, how you got into that. Again, a little bit more on the why's and and what's going on there. Um. And I think that's a whole nother. <sighs> um out of body
2: experience,
1: yes, yeah. <laughs> it's a whole nother experience uh for sure right. um being first of all in rural utah uh it's a it's a different experience to be in government, and to be a woman in government in rural Utah is even more unique so um let's talk about that when we come right back. We're back here on First Lady and Friends with my friend Tammy Pearson. So you are currently the Beaver County Commissioner, and um, so how did that happen? <laughs> so most of us sort of fall into politics, and in rural Utah, it's usually just because it's your turn. Oh, I did not fall; I was pushed. <laughs> well, that
2: too. Yes, actually. yes. Um, you know, it's one one of those things that you don't really dare admit that you caved under peer pressure, but yeah. I—that's kind of where it was at. Um, we we had a commissioner, and and historically, Minersville had always been, you know, the agricultural leg to the you know to the commission. Um, our county has eighty seven percent public land, yeah. seventy
1: seven federal. I just don't think people understand that. No. And, and, and even here on the Wasatch Front, especially when you're not from Utah, you, you really don't understand that. But even here on the Wasatch Front, people don't understand what that means right. to, to a county. So, so
2: t- talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So, so um, 77% of it is federal. So either Bureau of Land Management or Forest Service. Then 10% is SITLA, State Trust Lands. So all of that is tied to grazing, livestock grazing, uh, mining, uh, hunting, fishing, you know, timber, all of the public land, the the multiple use concept, right? And so uh, recreation, camping, all of those things are tied to public lands. So historically the minersville commissioner was kind of that person. Um, In my mind, that's the most important thing that's going on in our county, right? Because yeah. the majority of people, are, are, are our residents, actually live either close to the towns. We have three incorporated towns, and we have some other communities and some you know zoned residential, and then and a lot of people live out on the farms and different things. But we have Beaver, Minersville, and Milford that are incorporated, and they have mayors and city councils that worry about city business, right? And so to me, you know, the the most important thing for a county commissioner should be county issues. Mm-hmm. And and so our commissioner was retiring, and it was kind of me that twisted his arm and talked him into running when he ran. And he'd served four terms. He'd, he'd been in there 16 years. And he just says, I I can't. I'm done, you know. And uh, so unbeknownst to me, because I never in my wildest dreams, I never even – considered it. I'd always been active. I've always voted. I've always done that kind of stuff. I'd served on planning and zoning. I've served on every board in the world, fair board and landfill board, different things like that, but never even remotely considered this. And unbeknownst to me, he'd been out talking to people and, and, and thought he was kind of training me without me knowing it. And obviously I was not paying much attention but uh or I'd have been run screaming out of there um but he he wanted me to run and and I'm like I'm trying to find anybody else and their dog to run (laughs) because I wouldn't know that's not going to happen and and my husband had 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 passed uh three or four years earlier than that and I just was barely keeping my head above water you know just doing the stuff that I was doing and Anyway, and then all the friends and neighbors and everybody else came and begged and pleaded. And I sat in the parking lot f- literally for 45 minutes talking myself into it and out of it and into it and out of it before I turned to my application the last 15 minutes of the the day. Right before the, the deadline. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, And I made it anyway. And so I've just kind of... I, you know, I try not to do anything halfway. I just, yeah. you know, I knew what need, or I thought I should know what needed to be done and where our focus was. And so um, I've enjoyed it. I've loved, you know, most every minute of it. I don't like politics. I think politics are ugly and yeah. and they get in the way of getting good things done. Exactly. But also in the political world, I've made some amazing friends that I have a lot of faith in. And uh, I've just... Well, Rebecca Benali from San Juan County. Mm-hmm. She and I both went in at the same time and we became very good friends and uh we were I think we were the only women commissioners. There was a few council members around but they weren't they're not as active sometimes uh, especially in the Utah Association of Counties as what the commissioners are. And uh the rural commissioners have a really unique role. That we seem to be our own best lobbyists mm-hmm. and and so the the commissioners are super active with the state legislature with the governor and and their office and that, and so I've just kind of tried to bully my way through and just <laughs> like a bull in a china shop kind of thing, you know, just I don't know what I've never been accused of being politically correct <laughs> and and uh but just try and figure out how to do things best for not only Beaver County, but as a whole, my neighbors, and public lands, and, and agriculture, and those kind of things.
1: So, Are you, maybe you don't, you should probably do know this, do you, are you the first woman commissioner in Beaver? Oh, yeah. Yeah, since they, I, there couldn't have been anybody before oh, you, yeah. right? Yeah, there's been a couple, you know, a handful of, like, city
2: council m- members and stuff like that. Um, there was one mayor in minersville years back that was a woman okay. um but the, i was the first woman commissioner in all of southern utah i mean rebecca and i that i know of
1: i because i and we had one in Pete and she was great for for a she long she was time. really good yeah, yeah, claudia. yeah she was still, claudia was in there when i went in she she yeah. was fantastic um and i think it's really important because you know as we toured around you know obviously we've we live in rural utah we've um, we spent our whole childhoods in, in rural Utah, so we get it. But um, that was one thing I think that really stuck out to me as we really traveled around is um, there were just not that many women involved in, in right. political office in rural Utah. And I, I think that's sad. And And so I think what you're doing is actually – really remarkable because again i think and the the research bears this out it takes a lot for women to run you talk about all the friends and neighbors and people that pushed and pushed and pushed you to do it that's what it takes to get you know oh, yeah. a man will get in there and say i'm as qualified as they come even though he <laughs> may not be but um but a woman it takes a really it takes a huge push and it takes many many people asking her to run before she before she does it. So I think it's um really important for women um especially in rural Utah to be able to have a voice there. Right. And and to express that. So I really think it's amazing what you're doing. Well, let's talk you you mentioned wild horses. And well, it's I'm, a
2: hot topic right it now. It is
1: such a hot topic. And we don't want to get into politics at all here and you're not interested in that and I'm not. No. But I think there's a lot of misunderstandings about, especially people that don't live in sort of even, not even all of rural Utah, but specifically central and southern Utah and sort of western Utah, because that's where a lot of the that, um, that BLM land is that you talked yeah, about. Yeah, the HMAs, the herd management areas. Yeah. And that's where a lot of these... I put "wild" in quotes, horses, <laughs> because what you said was a lot of times, in, and it was several years ago when there was another economic downturn around two thousand eight. That's when I first heard about it. But a lot of folks who had horses, who had um, animals, um, burrows, any any of these things couldn't feed them and just went out and dumped them right, right out in these lands, right. And so these are not you know man from snowy river wild horses no that were born and bred here for hundreds of years yeah. no they're not
2: um a lot of the horses you know originated from you know the farmers the ranchers the miners different things over the over the last population of the west yeah. so to speak um even there's very little even of the old spanish breed from when the spanish were were here um the pro- the problem that i think is hitting you know hitting hard right now is the drought's going to accelerate any impact on the range and uh the horses specifically if if they are not managed can do a lot of negative impact on on uh riparian areas this you know the native springs and and the vegetation on the range itself and so um, you know, there there's a concept from some of the activist groups that, you know, they want to say, Oh, everybody hates horses and you know, you're just trying to eradicate them and that's not the case by any stretch of the imagination. There probably isn't anybody on this planet, especially in Utah, that takes more pictures of horses and I and I love the horses. Uh we haul we haul water, we haul uh protein feed during the winter, I cut ice all winter, you know, when it's cold. But the problem is the horses are out there 24-7, 365, and they're in certain areas. And And anybody that, that understands any kind of range management would realizes that those, you know, they they follow the water, they follow the feed, and they can basically go wherever they want. So they're not necessarily where the herd management area is. Um, where that's the total opposite of what livestock are managed. Livestock are managed to specific numbers, specific dates, and on a rotation system to different pastures. And so that doesn't happen with the horses. Um, that's why there is a, they call it an AML, as an appropriate management level. Uh, that was that was determined back in 1971 when the Wild Horse and Burrow Act was was. Um, passed in Congress, and and so basically that's all we've got to go by on that. And whether you like it or you don't like the appropriate management level, I think that people would find out right now if they did a new assessment on that. That appropriate ma that AML would be way lower, yeah, because because of you know where the herd sizes are. So in Utah, I think I can't remember the exact numbers. I'm not a numbers girl, but. <laughs> Um, In Utah, I think we're only supposed to have like 3,000 horses and we're upwards of, you know, close to six, you know, Mm -hmm. statewide. Um, We are nothing compared to Nevada. I mean, Mm -hmm. Nevada is literally ground zero. I've been out in the Elko and the Ely districts and you cannot imagine the damage that's happened there. Places that have not seen a cow in 30 years look like a, a concrete. Parking lot. Wow.
1: Um,
2: what's really frightening about that kind of stuff is Nevada and Utah, specifically, and the West Deserts where the horses are are the lowest rainfall. They're the, I mean, our precip annual precip is the two lowest states of the, of the whole nation, right? Yeah. And that's where these horses are, and and so there's no recovery on on the on the range. There's no chance of of just, you know, having wet years like what they do in the Midwest or, or you know, Oregon, Washington and that kind of stuff. And so um, the mechanical treatments, it's not irrigated pasture. You can't run out there, drop a well, and start irrigating these millions of acres that the impacts are. So really the only management that we have is is gathers, um, try and do some sort of fertility treatment. There's a lot of new stuff coming in with Gonicon, PZP, different things like that. And I'm probably getting too far into the weeds. <laughs> um, IUDs, things mm-hmm. like that, that they can use on, on and I'm hoping um, herds like the, you know, like the Anarchy and that, that they're going to be able to do those kind of treatments to keep that herd size
1: down. Yeah, that's. I think it's really important, though, to for people to really understand. I think if you're not involved in it, you really are just hearing little media snippets, and you really aren't understanding the full impact of what's going on out there, um, and how important it is for the, like you said, for the entire ecosystem out there. It it is people. I mean, talk about being environmentally conscious,
2: (laughs) right? And I've said this, you know, years ago when when I first got into, you know, talking about this kind of thing. Um, I'm out there every day. I can see the impacts every single day. And, and I do the same thing with my cattle. If if I see the grass is getting to a certain level, you pull the cows off, you take them home, right? Or you move pastures so you don't do that, that permanent damage. And, you know, one of one of the things that, that I've said over the years is if we are not careful, especially with the horses, um, it's going to be one of the worst man-made natural, you know, man-made disasters and a, and a total ecosystem crash, because I don't think anybody's really uh, quantifying the impacts to the little critters like Mm -hmm. jackrabbits, cottontails, lizards, coyotes, foxes whatever is out there you know you get that kind of impact the horse is the last thing that shows you know physically shows a hardship yeah um you know cows and sheep that's the low-hanging fruit they can move them off you know bring them in and feed them horses are out there by themselves and there really is no way of fixing that if they get to a certain point
1: yeah, no, I think that's really um important. So what else, what are some other things that are going on that you think it, you know in in the rural Utah world that that other folks should know about? Uh
2: we love our homes, <laughs> you know, we yeah. love our lifestyle. Um I think that we all are very conscious and very careful with how we treat natural resources, our public lands, and those kind of things. Um, We want to keep our kids, you know, we don't want, that's been, you know, one of the quotes that all the rural commissioners have said for years, our our biggest import, our export is our kids. And we'd like to be able to create jobs that, you know, they can stay here. That's not what a senior wants to hear. You know, I think most of your seniors want they to come just, back, though.
1: We did. Yeah, they do.
2: They do. I, You know, it, they get out, get through with college and they start raising
1: their families and they want to come home. Well, know? that's that's exactly what happened to us. So we were in um, we'd gone to, to Utah State. We'd gone to uh, back to Virginia to law school. We came back um, and we're looking for a place. And of course, you know, I was like both of us were never going back. Home. We're not going back to rural Utah. No, we're ready to move on. We're, we're, you know, we got big britches now, and we're we're ready to go. And uh he, we were. I think I well, I had my two first boys. We had our first boys in Virginia, and our third boy was born in. We were living in Fruit Heights, up in Davis County, and he was he was working in Salt Lake at a law firm, and. I just had this moment after I had Adam and it was like I mean, partly postpartum, but partly like <laughs> uh, you know, a real kick in the pants to say, you know, here you are sitting on this fourth of an acre in Fruit Heights. You got to run through six hundred acres every day. Right. You got to go jump on a horse and run up the 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 mountain anytime you got overwhelmed or you know whatever and I thought I cannot do this to my boys. I can't have them grow up Cornered on this in a backyard
2: that you can't <laughs> just- look through the fence.
1: <laughs> that's exactly it. And so we we decided it was a tough decision because again, you know, you have to really want to live in rural Utah oh, yeah. to make it work. Um, you know, huge cuts in pay um to to go back and and so that's what we did. We you know, we headed back and you know, it's been the best thing in the world for our kids to to grow up there. But but I think you're right. You know, we we look around in rural Utah and say, how can this continue? Can we have our kids and our grandkids around us? Because really and truly, I think when you ask people what they really want, what makes them happy, that's it. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. guaranteed. I think one of our biggest
2: hurdles right now, and I think COVID probably is what hit rural Utah, not, you know, not so much the farmers, but, but rural Utah in general, when, when the kids came home to do school and Mm -hmm. they had to do everything online, there is no broadband, Mm -hmm. like no capabilities of that. Um, We've had a lot of discussions. Beaver County's got kind of gone outside the box, you know, trying to figure out how to get broadband in there. None of the, the communication companies would bite. They're just like, oh, you guys are too little. It's not worth the bother. Um, so we went to the legislature. We've we've got a company that's got a completely different uh, way of bringing it in. It's not by line. It's more the satellite dishes and different things like that, and a higher quality. Mm-hmm. And so we, but but to tell the story, if you have a family that has more than one child, right? Nobody can be on the com- More than one person on the computer. Because the Wi-Fi wouldn't carry it. Oh, really? So wow. a lot of these kids are going to the school, sitting in a parking lot, trying to do their Chromebooks Wow. from the Wi-Fi off the schools or the hospital. or, And that and this is countywide. I mean, it was like impossible for these kids to keep up with their homework. We have a new commissioner that's got like seven kids. I don't think they were all home at the time. When one was on a mission or whatever. And he goes... Well, it, it was crazy. They had Couldn't to take turns, it. It, it, and, and even to this day, you can't do it, you know. And uh, our National Association of Counties put out an app called Test It for all the county, you know, and and they they said it's it's wonderful. It's a wonderful app, and it tests your your broadband. You can't even pull it up in Beaver County, <laughs> like it's there. It's there. But it doesn't work and it's supposed to, so when you log in or you, you know, you, you, however you do it, anyway, you open the app, right, and you punch it, punch it in, you have to hit Cedar City before it'll download, Wow! right, and that's supposed to mark how spotty your broadband is and I'm like, well it's spotty. It's definitely spotty. <laughs> we don't even have one spot in Neighbor we, County. We don't even need to ask
1: the app for that. <laughs> right, right.
2: But that they were trying to do that and then map it out, you mm-hmm. know, nationally. So you knew where the where the low spots are. Yeah. Yeah. We're not even on the map.
1: Yeah. And yeah. That's, so, yeah, that's an issue and I think that is one thing the legislature's gonna can address. Well, that's and what I, it the like.
2: governor specifically. You know that was one of his when when I was with the, you know the transition team that was one of the big things for rural Utah, that we were you know that was one of our big asses statewide broadband you know trying to get those but but here's the key that I think that would bring to rural Utah specifically, are the
1: good paying jobs yeah yeah and that's what we you know the they've been talking about too is because we can take, you know somebody like us who grew up in rural Utah, who was living on the Wasatch Front, could then take the job that they're doing. Home of I mean, them. not every yep. job can do that, but there are a lot that can, a and lot. a lot more that we realize can now that we didn't know could before. Exactly,
2: <laughs> That's one thing that COVID's opened our eyes to, I yep. think, are are the possibilities of, of working from home, what do they call it, a hybrid job of yeah. some sort. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that you can do part of it online, part of it in you know, in person. Yeah, and and it it did open our eyes to a lot of those kind of opportunities. And I think there's a lot of companies that have really taken advantage of that. Yeah. And I got to say, you know, the governor specifically has said, you know, if we can work from home and we can use some of these state jobs and these other ones, then let's do it.
1: Yeah, so yeah. I, think I don't. Been... I mean, I think we've we've shown that it, it works, and we've shown that. You know, people are still very productive. In fact, you know the studies that they did; they were actually more productive. Yeah. Um, so it was, yeah, it works out. And I think that's it's important f- for people to understand that rural Utah has those unique needs um, that that you don't always think about. So um, let's let's talk about Beaver County a little bit more. Uh, <laughs> and I think some of us have these these fun things in our counties that we get really excited. That's what I think. That was so. What was so much fun about the tour was that we'd go to somewhere and they're like, they can't wait to show you what's cool in their county or right. what's cool in their city or what you know what they have going on. What or our just, own little unique things are. And everybody does. That's what's so oh, yeah. fun about it. Yeah. Um, but one of the things I think most people on the Wasatch Front have, at least those that are heading to St. George, and, and, and for those of you that don't know, there actually is a huge part of our state between Payson and... And St. George, <laughs> <laughs> including San Pete and Beaver Counties. Right, right. People forget that. People think that, you know, my kids are in Cedar City going to school and they're like, oh, that's so nice. They can just pop home for dinner. And I'm like, you know, it's like three hours away, right? <laughs> uh, so but talk to us about the creamery Were you you had to have been in on the the sort of the conception of of the creamery that everyone loves to stop at now
2: right so so I wasn't really part of the conception part of it but just getting you know getting them on the ground because because the the cheese plants what we used to call it was just this tiny little room and and it it was just crazy the amount of of people stopping there I mean everybody knew about it and you stopped and got a bag of curd and, a, and an ice cream cone and then they had a little tight and there was always 20 people in it and it was no bigger than this this room that we're in right now and and just crowded but everybody knew about it and so when um DFA came Dairy Farmers of America came and talked to us about it you know there was there were some hurdles trying to get it done they talked about trying to, to do a, a, an exit you know, there somewhere. And, and I'm like, Oh no. And it's not at
1: the exit. That's no, what's so funny about no. it. You really have to kind of
2: wind you through town wind to find it. Town. But that's by, that's by design yeah. because you know, all of our little towns, it, it kind of goes back to the old Disney movie cars. Yeah. You know, the, the, the freeway took out the old route 66. Yeah. All of our little towns, the main streets are, are dead or are dying or, or somewhere in between. And, um, you know, there's a lot of good little, nice little buildings that are open, are are available to open, for all these cute little shops or whatever you wanted to put in there, some sort of retail, and live in Main Street up again. And so, um, they were talking about that. There really isn't any room to put an exit there anyway. And I said, what we need is is just people to come to Beaver and fall in love with Beaver County, right? Mm-hmm. And and that's happened. I I mean, I don't think the creamery, they've got a few bulletins up, but boy, everybody, you, yeah. you see that place and it's curiosity. It was the same way when they put Cabela's on the hill. That was, yeah. I mean, that was better than going to Disneyland, right? <laughs> I mean, for me, but um, we've got our little ski resort up on the mountain and they have just thrived. They've been open again now for 10 years and they're just, oh, they've got the best little chefs and some cool housing, you know, the VRBLs kind of stuff and and then um we've done quite a bit with tourism. The Ramblers is our is our new title for uh for Beaver County, but we've got a, a really good trail system for ATVs, we've got biking trails, we've got a um, bunch of that kind of stuff going on. Um just our restaurants down there. Are really awesome restaurants. They
1: are. They're really good. <laughs> They're so I think good. <laughs> it's the perfect place to stop for, you know, talk about Route 66. I mean, like, Sampete completely missed out because it didn't even get I-15. It used to be on, you know, it's on 89. It's on 89. And when yep. I-15 came in all those years ago... It just took everything Yeah. I mean, we just... Sampete has really struggled. Well, I'll give you a hint. This will give you a really good tourism thing.
2: Let Tesla come in and put, put a bunch of... Oh, the... <laughs> Plugins. i don't even know what the charging Charging stations stations or whatever so they've just they've just done that they're um um we've got the new forge project that that we got all the funding from with the university of utah and they're down there um drilling wells we you know the west side of the county is just booming it's more of the industrial stuff besides you know ranching and farming and that but we've got the we've got the windmills we've got the railroad we've got Solar farms, crazy, you know, geothermal, hydro plants. Um, you guys were down
1: here well, a couple we had, months ago. Yeah, we were down there. and You should come more often because we, you brought the rain. Oh, good. <laughs> well, yeah, I don't know. We haven't seen it much up here, so we're, we're not good luck anymore. But, you know, we, when we were down there not too long ago, there are some really innovative things going around on down there around, agriculture. Oh yeah. I mean not only are we doing some of this power stuff but so there is this these pig farms and these pig farms are creating natural gas. Right. Through the manure that goes into the lagoons. that goes into the lagoons, they pipe that, they they clean it up and they literally plug it into the the, river pipeline, the line that goes to California. (laughs) So you're selling, you're selling gas made by our pigs. Right, right. It's It's really, really innovative and, and incredibly, um, I I think people would just be really surprised um, to see all the things that are going on in rural Utah. And I, I think it's a way, again, it's jobs. It's a way for people to stay there. It's a way for people to do um, to make a living in rural Utah, and and to be able to stay there with their families like they like most of them want to. Right. So, and I and I think you're right. I think
2: that that's the one thing about most of us rural people is you got to have two or three or four jobs. Yeah, you know, you've got to wear a lot of different hats, and 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 we've been tough. You've had to be to try and make a living and keep your family there, but. What is it? uh, What is it? That's the mother of.
1: Oh, I can't. The mother of. an.
2: (laughs) Yeah, no, I'm going to have you all screwed up on it, too. Um, What is that saying? We'll think of it. Yeah, I've blanked out now, but but uh, you've just got to try and figure it out, you know, because the government's not going to fix everything for you. And that's, you know, I think that's. You know that's a mentality that we avoid. Yeah, yeah um, sure. in rural Utah, and and so people have very independent, very independent, and self sufficient and resilient. You know, yeah. because it's just like it's just like farming. This drought, even as bad as it is right now, that's not our first or our last. It's been going on for years, off and on.
1: It's gonna come again, and, and, and it's
2: gonna just keep coming back around. So you got to figure out a way, yeah. a way through it or yeah. around it.
1: Well, I think you know we. I think in rural Utah, we have a lot to to teach the rest of the world and, and, you know, I think we can learn from each other and I think that's a beautiful thing and, you know, and and that's what I think has been so lovely and I'm so glad that you came on here because um, it's a a story we need to tell and you have an incredible story to tell. So thank you.
2: (laughs) Well, I I appreciate you um, offering me the chance to tell the story. Yeah, it, it, it's a little murky in some places and
1: <laughs> <laughs> it, it's never spit shine much. It's kind of hard it's kind of hard to shine it up, but um it's real and that's what we love real. about it. So, thank you Tammy. This has been just such a pleasure for me. So, thanks for being with us today. Thank you too, Tammy.